everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Last time we talked about the importance of story, and over the next few episodes, we'll talk about the most powerful stories people tell, the stories about their gods. It's no mystery where we'll start. Where there's a pantheon, there's a king, and that's who we're looking at today. However, sometimes a king may not be as regal as his reputation. So, there's several things I'm alluding to with that last line, right? Yeah. But I think where I want to start is with primordial deities. Because what I was finding as I was doing some research for the episode was that lots of times the king of the gods in these pantheons is not actually the creator god, not actually um, you know, the first god. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be the guy that's in charge that people kind of think the best of. Yep. So... You know, in a lot of these, like take, for instance, like Egyptian um, mythology, right? Yep. Everybody, you know, pretty much everybody in the world knows that the Egyptian god Ra is is the king of the gods. He's yep. the sun god. He's the guy who is in charge. But really, Atom <laughs> is the Egyptian creator god. And there's sort of some, you know, over time, because Egyptian mythology has been around for, you know, thousands of years. Yes. There's almost... Um, an association between the two where they're kind of inseparable in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as um, Hinduism is another um, kind of similar, one of the oldest religions in the world. And so you have Indra, um, and Indra is kind of the a primordial god, and then there's the Brahmin, who's composed of Brahma, Vishnu, and uh, Shiva. This but Brahma is Brahma's kind of the whole thing's sort of confusing, right? Because they're kind of three aspects of the same thing. And Brahma is the creator god right. and sort of the king god. But at the same time, nobody really pays much attention to him as opposed to Vishnu or, you know, like... Think of the... Tri- yeah, you're, you've, you've, done, you've put us right into it. Yeah. This is good. So the, Because there's really... The, the, one of the things that I find fascinating about creation stories and... Uh, I've been fascinated for just decades with this. Uh, back to when I did Reader's Theater, I, I put a Reader's Theater script together uh, to take on tour back when I was in college on, on creation stories. And and one of the things you find that you've just already nailed it is that often you're put into the middle of things. Mm. We just the story assumes that some things were already there or coming to be. Right. <clears throat> And and there's often, not always, but often a triune situation, as you just described. And when you think about even in, in Christian terms, and yes, I use the term mythology with Christian mythology, not as a denigrating, uh, not as a slap. Um, it, 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 mythology is sacred stories. And so it's honoring sacred stories to talk about them. So I use the word mythology, not no, not false, not lies, the way we use mythology now. So. Uh, You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? Or, or, or different different um, terms that are applied to this. Who gets talked about least? The Holy Ghost. Because right. we don't really, well, you know. And mm-hmm. theologians know sort of what it's alluding to. But but that's akin to what you were just saying about Brothman. Yeah, yeah. So... So yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting part of this. Is today we're going to talk about the kings of the gods, but yeah, the interesting part of that is, like you said, in a lot of these stories, the beginning of the mythology is still kind of in the middle of the story. You know, so like you're just sort of coming in and you're like, well, this doesn't really answer many of my <laughs> questions about the creation, especially um, the one that stuck out to me looking at it was uh. Izanagi, the, yes. the Japanese Izanagi one. and Izanagi. So he's, I mean, he's the king of the Japanese gods, but he's the seventh generation of primordial gods. Like, there was apparently seven generations of gods before him that didn't, you know... Which have names and which have iterations if you get really into the... the if you get really closely into the study of all of this. Mm-hmm. But for the, the, the common culture, so to speak, yeah. You're already way in. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Um, so 
They're primordial deities. Being a king does not necessarily mean you're a creator. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was kind of interesting is, um, you know, status is kind of fleeting with some of these guys. Um, you know, in some stories, um, like the Greek, the Greek story or um, the Norse story, Zeus and Odin are kind of always sort of there. Well, not even Odin. Odin had parents, um, and and Zeus, and Zeus had parents his as well. Father, right, which right. is the creator. It's in order to yeah. Or, or yeah, they, they were, uh, and then cast the Titans into a, an abyss, essentially. Yeah. Doesn't kill them, mm-hmm. but they're locked away. Well, and even even um, in, in most of the older versions, he, he didn't kill his father either, but he entrapped him. Yeah, so... So Zeus is, I think Zeus might be the most stable one, where Zeus is the king of the gods, and in no other stories does he really not be the king, right? right. Mm-hmm. So in early, you got you have Cronus in the early stories, and right. like, okay, well, he was the king, but like, they don't, it's not like Greeks were worshiping Cronus as opposed to Zeus in a lot of, in a lot no. of ways. No. But in some other cultures, that's not the case. Like, um, I was really interested in doing um, the Aztecs. And then I realized I couldn't pronounce any of their names, so I, I scrapped it. No, just kidding. <laughs> really, they're, they're insane. But the other part of it was that their story was so convoluted and it had changed so many times. So if you look up who the, who the king of the Aztec gods was or who the, the Aztec creator god was, it changes and cycles several times throughout their history and depending on which cultural group is dominant at what time and whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, and there were several um, cultures that were like that. And, and even Hinduism to some extent, you know, has, has that similar sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're going to focus on, you know, um, the couple groups that have a more stable story just because it makes for a clearer definition, but that doesn't really take away the interesting or important aspects of other cultures stories. No, no, it's just hard to know where a starting point is with some of them because they're so cyclical and so convoluted. I'm going to, I'm going to mention something about Ra. Because I think it's something you may have already found in your research, but but just as an example of why we're doing what we're doing, uh, Ra, god of the sun, finding himself alone in the watery mists of Nun, the sun god Ra achieved the remarkable feat of making himself pregnant. He then gave birth to air, Shu, and moisture, Tefnut, by spitting them out of his mouth. Shu and Tefnut mated to produce the earth god Geb and the sky goddess Nut and Anakoth. But in the beginning, the god says, oh, here I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even even in, in, in with Zeus, well, okay, he's born. Hmm. Now what do I do? And I'm going to fi- fi- figure yeah. out this dynasty I'm creating. And that's an interesting thing from a philosophical standpoint right is that looking at these ancient people and their culture and them trying to determine how the world and the universe came to be without any science or without with very little science you know Mm -hmm. you're just kind of looking around and thinking how did this all come about and you know coming up with these stories and you know it makes you wonder do you think that those creation stories were any more satisfying to them then than they are to us now? Do you think that they're just, oh, yeah, well, Rob was just there in the beginning by himself in the waters, you know? Do you think that that was okay with them? Or I, That's a really interesting question because it tries to get us to project out of ourselves and back. I, I, I can't help but think that there were always those, because there always are those, <laughs> that's among them a question, what is... And question stories, and and the Greeks, there wasn't the the idea of worship in the sense that we use it, in a, perhaps a, a Judeo-Christian sense. I, I don't think it's applicable as long across their culture as ours. Uh, I, I think that there there was a point at which they realized, no, all the gods aren't doing this, but they do appear in all the stories. But they appear very human. They have moods. They're petty. <laughs> they they take sides. Um, and and then they assert themselves. And Hera is, is always uh, always in battle with her husband, right? And, and so I think that 
probably people were questioning it. But perhaps not initially, because you just say they're looking around trying to figure out why is this windstorm happening? Why is this lightning bolts hitting our fields and burning them? Why, why is the earth shaking? Mm-hmm. Well, how, when, what do we associate with shaking? Well, kids maybe with, with, with big scary things of parents getting angry or something. It's relatively easy to associate a parental thing. Um, to me, it's interesting that, that even in Christian mythology, uh, a God as parent, there's a, it's it's across the cultures, not uniformly, but there is this uh, woven essence of somehow parenting, even though this creature, this being, ostensibly is nothing like us. We sometimes force that issue of wanting it to be like us. Mm. In some of the uh, in, in some of the African continent stories. There's an interesting connection to me between, I was thinking about as I was coming over here today uh, for us to do this talk. The deists in the 18th century, uh, many of our founders were deists, didn't believe in a salvational God. God created the universe. God stepped away. I always like to think of God walking away to another corner of the universe because he's got better things to do. He winds up the clock the watchmaker god, and sets it up. Well, in, in ancient African uh, continent tales uh, from diverse places across the continent, diverse cultures, there are tales of the god, the god the, whatever the god happens to be, makes a male, makes a female. The male and the female start arguing. Uh, things start falling apart, and the god says, I create a web up to the sky. I create, get a spider. I create a web. I climb to the sky, and the god is never seen again. Mm. I had enough of you people, <laughs> right? Okay. And 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 deism is kind of like that, right? There's an absentee status. So even that is not uniformly associable with Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's interesting things in these stories, and what they. How they influence the culture and how the culture influences them is pretty interesting. So let's let's look at some of them. Yeah, um, let's. let's start with you know the most the most uh, familiar. Let's go with Zeus and Jupiter, right? What what's kind of the background story between these these gods? <laughs> okay, so so let's go to Zeus. Uh, Zeus is. <sighs> Well, you want to go to Jupiter, Zeus, the equivalent. But, I guess but the Kronos, question. You want to go to Kronos at the begin, the, cre- well, the creator uh, or the king? Yeah. You want to start with the king or the. Or, uh, well, let's do this, right? First off, let's answer a, a question. Some Let's clarify some for the listeners. Okay. So Zeus and Jupiter are, are kind of the same god, right. um, but one is a Greek version, one's a Roman. The Romans. Uh, sort of appropriated Greek uh, culture. The Romans were best at appropriating things from everybody else and then. Uh, assimilating. So I guess the big question is: is there is there any real discernible difference between Zeus and Jupiter? Only that Jupiter's a little less interesting in the stories about Jupiter. I mean, the the thing about absconding with somebody else's tales is, uh, well, somebody takes a song that you've written, they modify it slightly, and then say, "Here's here's the song." Well. No, so it just sounds sort right. of like a rehash. Okay. okay, so we'll just we'll just talk we'll about Zeus, Zeus then. Yeah, yeah we'll go with Zeus, and um, I think that it's good to give you know a little bit of his background, but Cronus isn't the main character here. So we'll give we'll give a little bit of the background, but okay. we'll kind of we'll mostly focus on Zeus. What, okay. What's kind of his story in a nutshell? Uh, well, once he's done, well, once Zeus has led a rebellion against his father. So it's a good rebel story, right? That that uh, and this, <laughs> um, he's he's the god of all. He's the god of the sky. He's the god of rain. He's it's, uh, the, he's the founder of of Olympus. He builds this this marvelous city. It's sort of like Odin, right? Okay, and he's the supreme god, and he makes sure everybody knows it. He's he's the protector of laws. He says, except when he breaks them. Mm. Uh, the friend of the weak the champion of justice, and so on and so on. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, 
except when he's not, because he keeps getting fooled in the story. So right. how can you be omniscient and still be fooled? There's an <laughs> interesting uh, story. So he um, he he's the oak tree is his sacred tree. Uh, he has sanctuaries all over the place. Um, he's represented as bearded and manly and regal and all those things. So this is sort of a character study, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, he comes to power in a coup against his father. Uh, his father's terrible, and so we, of course, we feel like siding with Zeus um, and 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 the Titans. And then once he wins, once he casts them down into uh, an abyss, then he himself starts becoming uh, a tyrant to his family, to his fellow gods, his brothers and sisters. Um, and as with all stories, we have the, yeah, but where do these other people come who aren't their brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. In, in the Bible, it's, you know, well, east of Eden, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, the ni- nice ones. But um, so, the, the, you know, this one of my favorite sources says he's a practical leader, but he's a despot. He moves more by anger than by justice, more by politics than by mercy. He was a divine version of the strong man, the kind of leader some foolish human still yearn after. This was written, by the way, a long time ago. Uh, despite the bloody lessons of recent history, Zeus epitomized the self-willed hero, active, golden, but ultimately selfish and incapable of moral growth. And I think that's really his story. Zeus, uh, Zeus impregnates dozens of human women. Mm. They can't help himself. Well, there's a patriarchal ugly story that play, has played itself out down across thousands of years. Can't help himself, indeed. Anyway, he's <laughs> and thus creates demigods, such as, well, uh, uh, the, the Hercules, mm. right? or Theseus, or, or and so it's kind of hard when the humans are having all of these wars and they're looking to their heroes and one son is on one side of things and one son is on the other side. And who do you side with as the father? Well, sometimes you side against one of the other sons and then you just choose to have them um, taken out or hurt or wounded and bring them back to Olympus. So this, the, I, I think that in largest strokes, it, it's, a, it's a cycle of stories from, uh, you, we get it in the Odyssey, the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Aeneid. Um, where Zeus gets uh, all in a bundle because his wife has done something on her own exactly like he has. Mm. He wants to assert himself, but he sneaks around on his wife. But then he yells at his wife when she finds out. And so she then tricks him again. And and, and so there's this mess of a family, uh, and it really is, uh, they start working at each other behind each other's back. So Athena... Athena, the, the 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 huntress god, the warrior god, and Athena, the god of goddess of love, that sort of pulls apart. We have uh, just a, a, an enormous pantheon. Hephaestus is one of the most interesting to me because he's he's uh, he's uh, he is not able to move well with his leg. He's he, uh, limps. He's he's wounded, and so he's a weapons maker. And everyone comes to his face of, make this for me, make that for me. You've got to make this for my half-human son because he needs this. Oh, okay. Um, but Hephaestus, and then there's Poseidon, who's, who's Zeus, Zeus's brother, or Neptune in the, the Roman, but we'll stay with Poseidon, who is cast out. Essentially, lives as given. Zeus gives people, he gives his family, well, his brother, you take this part, I'll take this part. The oceans and part of the earth. And he's never generally happy with, with Zeus. Um, they have plentiful arguments and usually decimates part of the earth for it. So, so it's really interesting this story, right? Because, like you said, it's, it's a giant mess. And mm-hmm. you'd think that. In creating a mythology or, you know, creating, you know, devising gods, you'd come up with something very idealistic, right? You'd, you'd, you'd want something that, you know, you'd think, right? You'd think like, this is what, I, these are the values that I want to instill in culture. Like if, if we, you and I were going to develop a religion, we'd say, well, we want to instill these values. So we'll, you know, we'll present, you know, a family 
that uh, you know doesn't have philanderers and doesn't argue and that is very morally strong and all these things. And therefore and, would be totally disinteresting. Right. And it wouldn't get anybody's attention. Right. So, <laughs> so the Greek pantheon is the exact opposite of that. And, and it makes you wonder, so what, how do you think, but you know, that, that raises the issue that they, they weren't, they probably weren't trying to create gods as an ideal form to like instill no. something in society. No. This no. is something that they just actually. These were explanations. Well, partly, partly these were, here's when we get into the difference between mythology and folklore. And it's a really strange terrain. Um, Mythology is about the sacred space. Mythology is about how things came to be. And it's not about moral circumstance, um, the morality tales so much, at least not at the start. And so I think that your question is marvelous. This thing you're saying, what, what you'd think, what we'd expect, but... Uh, at this stage in the game, so to speak, I, I think uh, I would say, well, of course it becomes messy because humans can't tell not messy tales. Hmm. Who who would listen to the, the tale of the perfect being? I mean, I know I'm treading on thin ground here, but remember the word mythology, <laughs> sacred story. Um, even the great teacher himself in Christian mythology is not perfect. He, makes um, judgments or decisions or acts in anger sometimes or a little bit stubborn. Make wine for me, says the mom. Make wine for my friend. Well, this is not what I do. Make wine. Or I'm, I'm angry at you, woman, for asking me for who you are, asking me for help, hanging out to my, let go of my leg. Um, or having a temper tantrum of a righteous one in 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 with the the money mm. changers, right? So even in our own, if in the in the close to home, so to speak, there is conflict. Yeah, conflict there is, is vision. Yeah, the conflict is the essential part of the story, right? Yeah, how we deal with conflict. So yeah, Zeus is an interesting one because you know I think that a lot of the things that I picked up on about his story, they kind of made it unique or interesting was that you know he's he's born in deception right mm -hmm. cronus was eating all his all of his babies <laughs> so mom said well i'll give him a stone and i'll hide this one mm -hmm. um and then he was raised by a surrogate mom didn't raise him after she saved him he was raised by i don't know some some stories it was a goat yeah and yeah, then yeah, you know other yeah, things. Yeah, various then, tales. you know he he has to come back he has to defeat his father kind of subdue him and and you know mm -hmm. like you said sort of haphazardly split up you know how the earth is going to be governed yep yep and then like we said all of his relations from that point on are violent and you know um he's, he's a philander you know and it's it's really a sort of like a like you said it's he's not the kind of character that you'd choose to be in charge if you were to choose it exactly so what what sort of things do you think that says about greek culture like do you think that any of that contributed to to greek history or do you think greek history contributed to those tales or i think humanity contributed to those tales I, I, this is why i find creation stories of, of, across the board from japan to to the south american continent to indigenous people in the north american continent uh, uh, endless varieties but ultimately there is the humanization of the divine and humanization of the divine means that the divine is not going to be entirely other and distant, uh, which is as much as to say you can't. I, I well, it's it seems not tenable to have a perfect God and somehow associate that perfect God with humanity. I mean, and again, even the familiar story, God sends a son, which and then you get into all these, well, is, 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 is God's son the same as God? Is God just God's son? Well, no, because <laughs> there's a human being in there too. So it's a demi 
god. Well, why do we do that in any mythology? Because there's got to be a human element to these beings who themselves seem human, but they have superhuman powers. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that we're we're getting into some of the interesting stuff now. I think that we'll let's look at some of these other ones. So okay. let's let's yep. talk about um Odin then. What's Odin's story? <laughs> Odin is a I in some ways I like Odin better than Zeus. And it's not because of movies. I, I <laughs> certainly like Odin better than Zeus. Zeus is uh, not a very likable character. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Odin, now Odin can be uh Odin is a mischief maker. Odin is a womanizer. For first first hand womanizer. But um but Odin gives things up, and Zeus doesn't. And that's the, the tale. In my in in my once office, um, I had this marvelous uh, stone piece that was created by someone at the Renaissance Festival, which is Odin hanging by his leg. Um, Odin sacrifices himself in order to gain knowledge. Even that is so much better than Zeus, yeah, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Um, um, so, so Odin is the uh, I love this word, omnicompetent god of battles. Hmm. He knows everything about battles. He doesn't know everything about everything. He has his ravens, uh, Hugin and Munin, who fly across the world to check things out and come and whisper in his ear. So he gets some stories, but even then he's not getting everything. Um, he's he's in charge of a, a world that has uh, nine parts. And and things happen in those worlds that he's not... He's the all-father. The father of everyone, well, within his pantheon. <laughs> Right, yeah. Right. So there's always these limitations. Um, and and he is like um, Gandalf. And I think Tolkien borrowed on this. Odin is one of those gods who sneaks down to the world wearing this slouchy hat and cloak and being this crotchety old guy talking in riddles, uh, knocking on people's doors to see if they'll let him in. Mm. Uh, now, that, that echoes in other places, too. But... Um, He's he's the son of Bor, his father, who was less human than Odin. Um, his brothers uh, they they slay an old old frost giant, and that's partly how the world comes to be. And then he builds Valhalla, um, and Hugin Immunin, thought and memory. So he sends thought and he sends memory out into the world to come back and give him these things. Without those two things, without thought and without memory, he wouldn't be Odin. He wouldn't be able to be the, the partially creator, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but mostly a warrior god. Um, so, Yeah, so I, already, man, Odin is like a really cool kind of complex character. The things that yeah. stick out to me are like, so Odin is born. He has parents, mm -hmm. and he also dies in some stories. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and that's pretty and, interesting because the question that that brings up to me is like, so how did how did Odin become the king of the god in their mythology? If he had parents before him who were more godlike and less human, mm -hmm. and if he dies, right, and mm -hmm. things come after, what was it about his character? That sort of cemented his status as as king of the Norse gods. Well, he and his brother Vili and Ve, he has two brothers, um, and having slain the frost giant Emer, create the world. But he's more assertive. <laughs> it's really it really comes to that. They each have their own um, cluster of of characteristics. One is more um, contemplative. Um, but but Odin has that 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 warrior leadership thing, extolling the virtues of of battle, hmm. and and we mustn't think in linear terms about uh, the Norse mythology. Um, Neil Gaiman has this marvelous book. He retells the stories. It's just the best retelling I've ever. But the, the the story cycles, so there's a the gods end up in this battle in which everything is destroyed, called Ragnarok, which is where Odin dies. But then the cycle begins again. Hmm. 
And so who knows how many cycles have been gone through and, and how much does Odin remember from the world being recycled? And, 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 and there are some interpretations that say, well, but Odin doesn't come back, but the next set of gods come along and then they get into their own battles. And, um, and so Marvel <laughs> has just a touch of this, right? Okay. Right. Um, but, but how he gets to be leader is that he asserts himself over his brothers and, and, and they mostly willingly. So, okay. Yeah. Here's the guy. Hmm. So yeah, the other thing that sticks out to Odin is that he, he creates the world through killing this frost giant, right? That's yeah. kind of unique among mythological stories, isn't it? I feel like in a lot of other mythologies, the creation act doesn't really involve, doesn't involve killing, you know? Not, not often in my, in my reading experience of it. I will, <clears throat> no, mostly either the waters of the darkness well, that's that's not peculiar to Christian mythology. It's often watery darkness, or, or <clears throat> an almost inexplicable stack of. Um, this is one of the indigenous cultures, and it's, it's a beautiful image. But a stack of of beings on which the land sits <laughs> on top of a turtle shell, um, which to me is no more. You know, some people teehee at such things. But you think, well, really? In the beginning, there was. Nothing. It was just nothing. Okay. There's a void. And then what? <laughs> and, right. and a lot of ancient myths do that. And as you said at the beginning, that we don't try to attempt to explain the void itself. Right. And really, that's a a sort of meta trope mm -hmm. in anything, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. We we don't have to talk about mythologies or religions and think of them as being simple-minded, we can take it to very concrete scientific terms, right? We have a picture of the universe yeah. very accurate until about 300,000 years after the beginning. And we think we know what happened <laughs> up until the very beginning, yep. but then there is nothing before the beginning. So even in scientific terms, we're essentially saying there was nothing and then there was something. Yeah. And yeah. That's just the limitations of being a human, you know? So it doesn't matter if we're talking about it scientifically or, you know, and that's why, that's why mocking religious stories or mocking mythologies is, is sort of narrow-minded because even if you're an atheist or a purely scientific thinker, the fact of the matter is you go back far enough, you're not going to have any more answers than anybody else's, you know? <laughs> so, it's really true. It's, it, 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 it should be humbling. Mm-hmm. It should be invited. There's the joy of stories because you ultimately, and we've we've crossed into this before, but it always bears repeating. If you are mindful of of people's stories, even as a teacher or a manager, people want to tell elements of their stories. They want you to know something about them to try to explain why they're behaving the way they're behaving. Well, I did this because. Mm -hmm. that's ancient that's primordial uh i made this because <laughs> uh I, I put this together i don't know i just made it <laughs> and, and and now i'm not so happy with it i'm walking away <laughs> it's like rodney dangerfield i get no respect to god so <laughs> off i go uh, <laughs> disappearing into the void right um or I, I i want people to fight all the time because dang battle is great so i'm going to build this <laughs> This great hall, and if you fight all day long and die, then you're going to wake up in this great battle hall and feast, and of course patriarchal, so women and mm -hmm. the and if you die in battle, the Valkyries, the the fierce warriors in, in Norse mythology, women will fly in and pluck your soul and take you to Valhalla, after which you wine and dine, and then you fight all day, die, and then wine and dine and fight all. It's like a video game but i'm not demeaning it by saying that yeah and that's what makes odin kind of a, an interesting character right is because on the one hand there's like a very um almost aggro male hedonistic element this yep. drinking and feasting and fighting and yeah but then yeah he has this thought and memory and the seeking of knowledge and this trickster element. There's, there's this whole different kind of <laughs> sort of complex. And he wants to know to things and he's willing to make, see for me, the metaphor of this again in, in education 
um, is is replete with guidance. He, not that you take your eye or you hang yourself upside down in order to gain, but he has to sacrifice significantly in order to learn more about the world that he has created. Right. So he created the world, but nothing comes easy for him. No. <laughs> That's kind of, yeah. and, and, that, and, you know, it does kind of have parallels to Zeus a little bit, right? Where, you know, all right, well, Zeus is, he's king of the gods and he's omniscient and all this, but at the same time, he's always facing these, his whole life is a soap opera where mm-hmm. he's getting tricked and he's tricking people yeah. and everything is this, you know, this yeah. convoluted mess. He, he sits on a hillside um, through many books of the, of, of, of the Iliad in the great war of Troy. Um, and he watches the Achaeans, the Greeks, um, and, and he watches and, and their allies, and he watches the Trojans and all of their allies fight, die, and, 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 and then come back the next day and go at it. And he sends mists in, and sometimes he sends storm, and sometimes he convinces some of the gods, you know, you can't help this one. You can help this one. And on and on it goes. And once in a while, he sits contemplatively, just watching it all. Just watching. Um, feeling something, but not... That, that when the, These stories are one of the best translations. I just finished reading it on Stephen Mitchell. And, and, you, and, you, and you are drawn into it enough to say, what old man, God, are you thinking? Hmm. And and you even get into his head a little bit about thinking about the horror of this constant battle, and yet he wants to see people die. Hmm. Yeah, it's really really wild. All right, let's let's get out of Europe and see if some of these other <laughs> see if some of these other gods are as yeah. messed up as yeah. as the European ones. Let's, <laughs> so let's go to India, right? Okay, and look at. Um, in particular, Brahma. So we talked about a little bit at the beginning. There's Indra, yep. and then out of Indra comes um, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Yep. And colloquially, Brahma then comes from Vishnu, right? And begins creating the world. You want me yep. to give us a little bit of yep. Brahma's right, story? Right, right, right. So, um, the, the, as you say, there's the triad. You've, you've got it. Uh, Vishnu, Shiva, and, and, and Brahma. Uh, here's how it goes. The great unknown formed a seed. From this grew an egg from which emerged Brahma. Hmm. So again, we have, wait, <laughs> <laughs> who is this great unknown? Is this the void? It's the seed. Where does it come from? Never mind. <laughs> here's, and I'm not mocking it. I think this is brilliant and beautiful, but it's, it puts us in the middle of it again. He was called Narayana he who dwells in the waters, for when he was conceived, nothing else existed but water. Uh, I had this marvelous teacher in, in Buddhism and Hinduism at St. Lawrence University, um, Tom Coburn, a gentle man, um, and he, he did seminars of very few people, and, and we'd be telling the stories of Narayana and listening to him tell the stories. Just, it was amazing. I wish I could channel him. Brahma is depicted as having four faces dressed in white, riding on a swan or a peacock, or seated on a lotus, seated on a lotus. And, you know, somebody could say, oh, peacock, why is he riding around on a swan? But, but think about what's the, what's the most beautiful of birds. Um, what would you have a, a, a being sit on? Something beautiful or a throne? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an organic kind of thing. Right. Um, his, his consort. Ah, now we have a consort. Mm-hmm. Where did she come from? Right. Uh, <laughs> Sarasvati. Emerged from his side. Hmm. So that she sounds came familiar, from him, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he saw. Well, or or what we were just talking about, where uh, somehow he managed to impregnate himself. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. So there's this and- androgyny. This is a side note, but this is androgyny that goes on across many mythologies. You know, we 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 live in a a time and a culture where people are trying to deal with of uh, trans. And by and 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 LGBTQ, my God, it goes back to the very start of mm. things of of the of the fascination and the mystery and the beauty of being two in one. You know, I I, I think it's just gorgeous. Um, 
He saw that she was beautiful and gazed at her wonderingly. She was modest as well as beautiful. She stepped to one side to avoid his gaze. Immediately, a second face appeared on that side of his head hmm. so that he could continue to look on her. <laughs> so she goes the other way. He grows another face. <laughs> okay. Uh, she stepped away again. Another face grew and again and produced a fourth face. She rose up and yet another fifth face appeared on top. And this last face was later destroyed by the fierce heat of the third eye of the god Shiva. It all is so complicated. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're out of the realm of explaining physically all things. We're in a place where beings don't necessarily always look human. Mm -hmm. And I like that about this particular mythology. Uh, you know, uh, Brahma, though given outward shape, name, and attributes of stories, can best be regarded as the personification of an attitude, um, which I think is, is, is different yeah. than, than some of the other stories. So his devotees worship him in many forms, from pure abstraction down to primitive fetishism. So it's... Um, it's a lot different from the European stories, right? It is. And so that's it, it is. that is the thing that you pick up on immediately. I, it's almost hard to talk about Hinduism without pictures because the pictures are what make it. And you it, see it these is. things, and like you said, I think the appeal to it, what I really like about it, is how unbelievably complex the entire thing is. There's mm -hmm. just this. They don't have a pantheon of 12 gods. You know, there's thousands of them, and each one is totally different. Oh, well, you know, he's got four arms, and this hand's holding a lamp, and this one's holding mm -hmm. this, and, you know. Which stand for various things. Yeah, they, it all, it, uh, there's, the symbolism is is huge, and everything's very complex. Yeah. Um, and it's all, it's all very, very interesting. But, yeah, it's so. But we're concentrating on, I think the, the thing that this, you were asking this marvelous question before about what are, the, what are these stories saying? Mm -hmm. uh, well, the Norse stories are saying things about what's in, that, that knowledge has a cost and that being a warrior is, <laughs> you know, there are many other things. But, um, and, and the Greek stories is, uh, it's nice to be a messy human kind of being, especially if you have superpowers. And, <laughs> and there's more to it than that. But, and this is, let us realize that the universe is complicated. Things change form. There are many aspects to a being, um, and and these aspects are, are abstracted into representations of things like light. So Vishnu represents universal light. Well, Apollo is god of the sun, but that's not the same thing mm -hmm. as representing universal light. And so that's where it takes us to a different level. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's very interesting. So, uh, yeah, and um, what separates um, Brahma from the two that we just looked at is um, that he creates himself, right? He, the, the other two have parents. Yeah. You know, Zeus and Odin had parents. Right. You know, There's kind of this, like you said, we're thrown into the middle. Brahma is closer to the beginning, right? We there is a void with waters, and he's kind of floating around, and and I think that that sort of shows. In India, in the East there, I think that from the beginning, there was a more accepting attitude of um, the unknown. I think there was sort of a comfortability with saying, okay, at some point there was probably nothing. Well, what would come from nothing? And you look mm -hmm. around in nature, you don't have a whole lot of science. Well, a seed. A seed is where life starts. That's where things begin, you know? And, and then a seed turns into an egg, which if you think about it, is just a plant and animal version of a same thing, you know? And, so and many is, creation stories do come, the earth, come, the life comes from an egg. Right, right so. yeah. So there's a, there's a very logical element to it. And it does, you know, as far as trying to portray um, a scientific viewpoint without having that language and knowledge ahead of time, yeah. it, it really is pretty sensible. Um, the other part that I like about it is, you know, in, in a lot of stories, he kind of creates the world confusedly. <laughs> he, right, he hatches from his egg, he, and he's kind of drowsy and sort of starts creating stuff haphazardly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting because there we introduce, again, like you said, there's that humane 
messy aspect of it. Yes, yes, but yes. Unlike Zeus, where you know he just kind of petulantly persists in it, or Odin, where he you know has to go, he has to sacrifice things to learn stuff. Yeah, yeah. Rama just kind of meditates, right? He just sort of you know he thinks, oh, okay, well, I'm sort of drowsy, I'm sort of confused. <laughs> I'm going to meditate, and then I'm going to start again, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then he starts creating everything again in, with balance. So good and yeah. evil and light and dark and, yeah. and all these things. And that really, I think that's where you begin to get those abstractions and conceptualizations that are central to Eastern religion. You know, you've, the, you've, you've got a very authentic um, vision into this that I, I think is is uh, warranted by how you approach things anyway with open-mindedness and humility. So you're not looking at it as, oh, cows and elephants and all the things that people like to talk about with, mm. and with the mockery kind of stuff that happens with any. You ever enjoy a kaleidoscope? I always, uh, yeah. yeah, I, 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 um, I was introducing a kaleidoscope to my 17-month-old granddaughter the other day and she was fascinated, right? And so look up toward the light and then turn it. And she, I took it down and she said, more, more, more. <laughs> That's right, right? Well, these are kaleidoscopic kinds of um, images. I mean, if you think uh, a face appears here, but then a face appears here, but then a face appears up here. And then you think, whoa. And you can almost see it turning and morphing. There's a fluidity um, that metaphorically or spiritually suggests the fluidity of light itself and and the constant transformation of things and the and, and the more the more layered nature of any being we aren't all evil we aren't all good um, we aren't all relativistic fifty percent fifty percent there are dark dark elements there are in mood. Um, Sometimes and that that doesn't balance with the others, and these stories are about balance, and they're about war too. They're, mm. they're, the 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 Mahabharata is a magnificent collection of stories, but they are they are complicated war stories too. They are not the rather not simplistic, but more direct. Mm. But even in the odd, even in the Iliad, back to Greek. Is it been a while since you've read it? Um, no, actually, I read it probably about a year ago. Okay, so you know, what do you notice in the Iliad when we're just getting into talk, to describing the battle? But what does the storyteller often do? It's um, I'm putting you on the spot because it was a year ago. Yeah, it it's pretty um. It's pretty detailed. It is. It is. And and in such a human way, um, Homer, the Homeric voice, because there, there's a lot of discussion that Homer was not one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But it starts to tell you a story about this, how this person is approaching this other person, and then goes sideways and says, who came from this land, whose father was... And this is uh, how they accrued their their cattle. And this is how they became. And this is some of the things that the father did that led the son to become a warrior. And now I spear him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and his he gives up the ghost in a horrible way, and he goes down to Hades. Or, um, but it's not just I kill you, you kill me. It's I kill you, even though our fathers were friends. Um, but you've overstepped mm. and you've joined the wrong side. And so you can't, you have an ignoble death. Ha ha ha. Wouldn't you have liked to have been me? I mean, they literally gloat like that. And then they don't just kill you, but then they stop in the battle, <laughs> raging battle <laughs> and take your armor because that goes to their treasuries. Mm. You have to strip the armor off the person you've just killed. If you really want to have a good kill. And send it back with a servant, even as the battle is raging around you, and then go on to kill the next person. So, so it's a complicated thing because you say, "Wait a minute, we see, we see, have seen so many images of war from 
World War II on, particularly the images, but especially in Vietnam, uh, any war, this goes back to what I said, I would never tell a soldier what she or he or they have seen. But any war firsthand is not, oh, we stop. We take off all of your armament. There's a battle going on. Boom, crash, bang, explosions, whatever. Am I going to take everything that that soldier has and then go on? We might call that looting, <laughs> right? But but it certainly wouldn't seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. But So this is an alien culture to us in the story sense. Now, whether it really battles probably didn't really happen exactly that way, but why are they in the stories then? And that takes us right back to what we were talking about, um, the complexity of a creation story that leads us almost immediately. Here's how the world's created, more or less. Yeah, well, some of it was there anyway, but (laughs) pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And then, now we're into war. Right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Now we're into, it's it's a soap opera. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like a kaleidoscope is a really good um, pictorial representation of, of Hinduism. Because, like you said, it's got, there's the complexity and there's the fluidity and there's the balance and it's just kind of this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what I really like about it. Yeah. All right, let's, let's move on to, uh, Ra. Um, Back to Ra. so we're in, in Egypt. What's, what's kind of the background with Ra? Oh, well, each Egyptian mythology, again, is not the same thing as, as Greek. And, and I, um, I want to. I I, I I I don't hesitate in saying that because this is. People associate. Uh, there's a. I, I think people sometimes you've experienced this. People don't have a great big sense of. Geography. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, they, these are not the same places, right? Um, so Ra is alone. Wakes up, <laughs> in the water. Um, and makes himself pregnant, creates this male and female, um, um, well, the, the stuff, really, not even male and female, and, and out of them comes the earth, they're Ra's grandchildren. So we don't, the earth doesn't, the earth and the sky are the grandchildren of the creator God. There's so hmm. still a distance in between. It wasn't immediate. Hmm. Um, and that's different than, yeah, well, <clears throat> There's, um, I guess the, the the similarity is with the Norse, uh, and with many other places, but particularly since we've been talking about that, is this this not gross but unavoidable organicism, mm-hmm. this spitting and this stuff and this ripping the innards out of a being in order to create the world, or or this this organic stuff, and then oh, my grandchildren are actually the world that, that we know. Um, but they were incestuous because how could they not be? Because what else is around? And yeah, so yeah. that, so, uh, and they have four great grandchildren, two of each sex. Um, Osiris mated with Isis and set with Nephethys. And they collectively are the great, uh, form the great nine gods of Egypt. So really it's a, it's a family chart. Uh, as some creation mythologies are, but this one is more, um, I don't want wholesome, that's not the word, um, perhaps more recognizably family charters, great-grandfather, grandfather, children, you know, that. Yeah, it's interesting because there's like a lineage, and like you said, it's it's kind of organic in nature, which again, if you're thinking about the the creation of everything outside of science, you're thinking about, okay, well, this is how we make more people or we make more plants. So there's probably a good chance that everything came from a similar process, right? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, so that's just yeah. kind of how stuff came. Said, but there's also uh, a complexity in the raw story that, uh, rem- that makes me think of what we were just talking about with, with Hinduism because, you, well, you've read it, so Ra has many aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, a tomb, remember, uh, you've talked about that before. Um, so that's the crowned god. Then he's a beetle. <laughs> he's a dung beetle. Kephra. Kephra. And, and Kephra. And, 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 and hides in the sand. 
And then a falcon-headed, falcon-headed man with a cobra and the sun disk. And every day he travels from Manu, the hill of sunrise across the sky in a boat, and he travels, he ages from boy to old. Now that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's the most interesting part of that story to me. Uh, at night, he assumed a ram's head and transferred to the boat, another boat, for his night journey, journey through the waterways of the underworld. Now, I don't, I, 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 I won't assert that there was an acknowledgement of the light side of the world and the dark side of the world and the world being spherical, but the world was spherical much way before where anybody talks about that now. They knew it thousands of years ago. So I think there's an element of that in that story. Goes on and gets on another boat, comes back through the watery dark of the underworld, um, and and then he comes back again. So there's this this element of the the eternal return, um, the, the the youth to age. To death, to back again. And there's there's the, the, the Ragnarok kind of thing, mm-hmm. and not not through battle, but just through life process. It's sort of Shakespearean, the the, the, the seven ages of man. Yeah, um, and that's so that's unusual. Uh, but yeah, I, I like you. I, I like the fact that he sails a long time to go across the sky. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of. Um it's sort of counter to a lot of other mythologies, right? In a lot of mythologies, you have these gods and they either live outside of time or they live for great lengths of time. Ra, I mean, on a daily basis, he's going through this whole process, right? Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that's what makes him kind of cool. The other thing I like about him is in the creation story, right? He starts um, creating things by whispering their secret names, right? Yes. Like what, you know, yes. that's something that's kind of different too. What does that mean? You know, <laughs> isn't that interesting? And then you, and then you, and then you contrast that with, uh, God giving Adam the power to name. Where did those names come from? I mean, you mm. see, we, we can be simplistic and say, well, he just saw it and said what it was. But deeper than that, there's this spiritual secret name element of, I recognize the essence of you and this is what you are. So there's that, that the power of word. Yeah. Word. But he also, Raul, creates humans with tears. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just... Um, and 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 that's uh, there's some symbolism of that in the in the, the the horror and the pain that human beings are going to create, and Ra decides to destroy humanity. Hmm. You got? Did you get that far with the story? No, I didn't. Yeah. All right. So uh, um, men were wicked and rule, unruly and treacherous. Well, we <laughs> <laughs> eventually Ra had had enough. He ordered Hathor or Hathor sometimes pronounced, to kill mankind. The goddess went about the work so efficiently and enthusiastically that Ra changed his mind. Aghast at the slaughter, he ordered her to stop. So He's already more morally complex than Zeus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, well, you any number of movies, like, kill them all. Right. Oh. No. Oh. No, stop. Right. <laughs> you know, how interesting is that? Um, and, and she ignored him, and he had to resort to trickery. Now we're back to, to, to cease the carnage. He found men so distasteful that he took to sailing, assuming what is now known as the low profile, if that is possible for the sun. So he had to trick her to stop killing them. There were still some left, but he says, enough of all of you. <laughs> going off on my boat, man. Gone fishing. <laughs> and so there's a, a familiar element to that. Yeah. All right, let's let's look at one last one. Okay. Um, we're going to go to Japan and yep. talk about Izanagi. Yeah, Izanagi. Yeah, or Izanagi. The, the, the Japanese, I think, will forgive us. I, I, when I was studying religions um, in college, we, we had two or three different versions of the name and of you know that comes with multicultural um, we're, t- we're attempting but yeah so what do you want to talk about with Izanagi or Izanagi? so he he has a pretty interesting story as well um like we mentioned earlier he was the last he's the seventh generation of the primordial gods mm-hmm. um we won't go into all of their backstory but so he no. he shows up and i think where he where he becomes the king of the gods is he and his wife create 
Japan, <laughs> you know, by, yep. you know, kind of putting a spear in the water and stirring it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think that that's really the interesting story is his relationship with his wife and kind of the patriarchal, um, aspects of it mm-hmm. so you want to just give us the quick story of well you just you just you did well with that so there first but but we need we need to mention this because this is one of those commonalities um he is one of three deities uh, in in the japanese uh, pantheon who who make themselves they create themselves and you don't always get that in the other stories but there's an element of i make me oh isn't that <laughs> cool um so they stand on the bridge of heaven he and his anami or Izanami, and 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 churn the sea the water thickens like butter a drop of ocean falls from the land solidifies and makes the island the two deities made their home on the island and set up a sacred column they began to perform the rites of sexual union each of them walking around the column in opposite directions until they met. Izanami praised the beauty of Izanagi, and this was a mistake. For the child they conceived after their meeting was a monster. Hmm. So be careful when you say you're beautiful. Right, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? There's always a price if you just toss off words. They set him adrift on a raft of reeds. <laughs> then she gave birth to an island. They rejected the island. They tried to find out the reason for these strange births by consulting the other gods. <laughs> Why is this happening? They were told that as they met, after walking around the column, it was necessary for the male to speak first and to take the initiative. So, as in so many other patriarchal stories, it's the woman's fault. Right. She had knowledge first. She said a word first. And thus monsters are made. I mean, it's just so, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So this time they have to go around the column in the correct way. And then they make many gods. And the god of fire uh, caused his mother such pain that she died. And, and the god of fire was Omasubi and Anikos. So the, just those elements to me are, are, are what's interesting. Uh, yeah, there's a lot there already. Um, and I think that the next part of that story is also interesting as well, because Izanami dies and goes to the underworld. Yes. And then Izanagi actually goes back to try to, to try to bring her back, Mm -hmm. but she's already eaten of the food of the underworld. Just like eat. Persephone. Just in, in Greek mythology. Right. Yeah. Just like. Eve, because Persephone was taken by Pluto or the Hades, mm. and and he wants her as queen, but she's so and the mother devastates the world. This is why everybody tries to all the gods try to get her to stop. It's only in letting Persephone come up to see mom once in a while for a certain number of months, and then the world can produce harvest. Then it all dies because she goes back. Okay, so now we go back, and you said Eve. Eve causes. Poor Eve. <laughs> and she wasn't even the first woman. Right. In in in, in Christian mythology. Um the, the strong woman, Lilith, is too strong, and so she gets cast out. Then we try again. Then we have Eve, who's supposed to be more compliant. But then she messes up too, right? Mm. Those women. Yeah. That's this patriarchal stuff. Anyway, I'm sorry. Do we, so yeah, in, <laughs> in the story of Aizanami and Aizanagi, he he goes down to the underworld, try to try to bring her back. She's mm-hmm. eaten of the food of the underworld. And then there's a light shine upon her, and it, it shows that she's a rotting corpse. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then that is, she's humiliated by the shame of this, and then tries to chase after him. Right. And sends demons with her, female right. demons after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, again, kind of comes back to, I mean, if you think about it, it's almost, is, it, is this another... Um, does this have to do with beauty again? Is she ashamed because she's she's not beautiful as a corpse? Or what, where does the shame stem from? I, I think that we can read that on the surface, but more non-patriarchally. So I'm bringing my own, uh, admittedly, view into this. But I think it, you can see it in there. She's embarrassed 
by him in the sense that he can't accept the processes of life and death. And he thinks that he is so, I mean, he's so arrogant. Mm. I can go down to hell and, and, and bring you back because I love you so much. No, I don't belong back there. Get out. Right. <laughs> uh, so I think there's a, 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 a big teaching moment that didn't necessarily get learned. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, it's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then after Izanagi comes back, he, he goes through a purification process. And there's several other gods created, right? Yes, 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 yes. So he wants to wash himself because of being down there. Right, right. Yeah. And so there's a whole, there's a lot of symbolism happening there. Yep, yep. So yeah, it's it's interesting. So we've we've covered, you know, several of the the um, the all fathers from different different cultural societies, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, there's there's a lot of commonality. They're all male. There's a lot of strife. Um, there's a lot of reproduction. They're always creating new yeah. gods, other things, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there's a lot of differences as well. You know, like what the family relationship is between the gods varies significantly. Mm-hmm. There's among, a family relationship, but what it is is different. Yeah, yep. is, is very different. Different cultures, how they interact with the underworld, you know, or or death or whatever you have is is also very different. And and the hierarchy is kind of it's kind of different. But yeah, so it was, this is a really fun, kind of interesting. Yeah, look. I'm so enjoying this. Yeah, so we'll do we'll do a little series on on different types of gods. I don't know which one we'll do next. Maybe we'll maybe we'll give women their their fair due and, and do a Mother Earth kind of kind of thing as opposed yeah. to the All Father thing or, or warrior goddess or something. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll end up. Yeah, yeah. So um, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll look at some of the same cultures. Maybe we'll look at some different ones. But uh, hmm. you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out next time. So uh, until then, keep pondering. Thank you.